Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have Michaela Berglund here with me. Welcome to my podcast, Michaela. Thank you very much. So Michaela is convinced that self-aware leaders can create a better world. She has worked with Executive Search for two decades and is now the CEO of Michael Berglund. Her passion for entrepreneurship, gender equality and leadership is mirrored also in her roles as chairman of the Albright Foundation, as board member of Teach for Sweden and for Potentials and Smarta Samtal. So Michaela, to just kick off with um, one question that I've been thinking about a lot. What are actually the future trends that you see that have the biggest impact on business so far? We've gone from a very male-dominated business life where, I mean, even though Sweden is considered to be one of the most gender-equal countries in the world, I think it's mirrored quite well in the profiles. When people seek for CEOs, what do they look for? And 20 years ago, what people looked for was very much like a strong leader, uh, assertiveness, uh, decision making. And today, people talk much more about maturity, authenticity, the ability to motivate people. And I think a lot of people in the business world today are very confused by the millennials. There's a lot of talk about the millennials and all this purpose-driven BS sometimes. Yeah. But it's, I think it's a very positive movement right now because even though people don't really know what's happening, you know, the digital revolution, because it is a revolution, mm -hmm. you can't say that anything is influencing more than the digital revolution. And also what, it, what happens to individuals and the leadership when we don't know where we're going. And we really don't. It's not really a change because we never know where we're going. It's an illusion that, <laughs> that we can know where we're going. We don't. So I would say the digital and also the human values are stronger today. Sometimes when I look at the companies from the outside, I try to simplify for myself by saying, OK, which company or even organization for mm -hmm. that matter is affecting humanity in a good way, mm. or at least leaves the humanity in a neutral place, if nothing else, right? Or has a humanity negative effect, you know, mm. in order to understand, you know, what to stay away from or where to go and maybe help them to move from a neutral space in order to, mm. you know, work for a bigger agenda, you could say. And uh, I mean, for good reasons, but also for the reasons that those kind of companies are, there's loads of evidence now that those kind of companies are really making also a better business profit, actually. Mm. So there's no contradiction. In a way, it's a complicated question because it's very easy to see that, okay, so the big NGOs, they're working for a better world. Mm. I mean, if you're working for fugitives, mm. giving them tents and medical, etc., you are essentially doing something to bring the world to a better place. It's also very easy to look at like a gambling company and say that they're not really. But it's not necessarily true because it's also very much who is doing what and for what reason. We've seen bad examples of, of NGOs misbehaving 
it's a philosophical question in the sense that how do we identify what is good? And at the end, it boils down to the people on board. It boils down to that. But maybe what you can look at is what are they saying that they're standing for? And then you just have to call like three people in the company and see if if they agree. Mm -hmm. And I think very much in this world, it's very much about discrepancies and how much you stand for what you say. If you actually have the behaviors and the values, it's very easy. Lots of companies have three core values, like we're simple, we're caring, and we're whatever they are, result-driven. But it's very, very easy to see that, no, you're not. You're a very complicated insurance company. No one can fill out your forms. So maybe they're not actually adding to something good in the world because as an insurance customer, you would want it to be easy to get your money. <laughs> Banking and insurance is a special chapter in the sense that they will, they will never make life easy for us if they, if they don't have to. No, on the, but on the surface, yes, but when, when it really comes down to um, there is like differences in, in interest in a specific case or situation, you can never win. No. As a client, you're like meanie, meanie. But I also reflect a lot on the, how much people who work somewhere in a company or an organization, how much they feel that they're actually adding value to the company. I mean, lots of companies, bigger companies that I come to, it's sort of depressing because it's more like they're working for the internal world than the external world. And I think then it's very, it becomes a bit of an illusion that if you're not a bank that is adding, if your funds are not adding value to the customers who, who, who is buying it, why are you doing it? And I think it's deeply unsatisfying for people not to feel that they're adding value. I think that's one of the, um, today everyone talks about purpose-driven leadership. And I think us as humans, we want to feel that we have a purpose. And the purpose can be to add value, but not only to an illusion. It has to be real and authentic. Exactly. Proof is in the actions and in what they live. And today, what are the typical things that clients ask you? I mean, what what are the most sought after positions also today? Well, the digital, obviously, because it's such a big change. And it's also a change where, you know, the the older and wiser maybe don't have the answers. So it becomes complicated for them to lead the way and it opens up the leadership questions. Mm -hmm. But also, I mean, we're an executive search company, so obviously board positions, CEOs, and also it goes very much in trends. I mean, in some periods you have communications directors, then you have only uh, CFOs and CEOs, and it's a bit of a coincidence. Unfortunately, we don't have uh, the monopoly in Sweden yet, so I can't really Mm -hmm. say how, how the whole site looks. But I can say that the trend when at least our clients, they are braver today, they are more open-minded, and I think they are more open to input and questions. 
I remember like 15 years ago when we, we always start the assignments with talking to maybe 10 to 15 people in the organization. It might be the board and the uh, management team or it can be the management team and selected people. And we do those interviews one on one. And I remember like 15 years ago, we were always very nervous about saying, you know, the critique and the questions that the organization had to the client. Today, the clients are almost thirsting for that. They are like, oh, that's really interesting and we can work with that. And I'm quite optimistic. Everyone else is not, but I'm quite optimistic in the sense that I, I can see that when people open up to change, it doesn't become so scary. So when leaders can open up to, oh, okay, so I was wrong, then things can truly happen. Exactly, the, the word vulnerability in a way Absolutely. Uh, is key. And then uh, how do you define a leader actually? Because when I'm thinking about leaders today, I'm thinking about people who uh, have a courage, not because they are courageous, because the environment they are living in and working in is allowing them to be courageous and also that they take the step to be a bit experimental now, right? So yeah. that they go to places where nobody has been. I mean, that's really leading, right, in a way. That is uh, what leadership is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but do you see more and more of those leaders around you? or Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also believe that there are t so many things that we know today that we didn't know 10 years ago, like how the mind works, how the brain works. You know, the CAT scans, we haven't done them for so long. So what they show is that the brain is plastic, which means that we can always learn. We can always learn new things, mm -hmm. which means that a leader who is prepared to pick up new things. So in order to be a good leader today, you need to be able to always be curious to new knowledge. And if you're not, I don't think you're a leader today. Mm -hmm. I think you're the old type of boss. And that's not the pace that we're working in now. It doesn't work. Because also, I've asked uh, every interview I've had the past 20 years, I've asked the question, who is the best boss you've had? And I've seen how three answers that come all the time. And it's someone who saw me, someone who trusted me, and someone who pointed out the direction, the goal. And in order to see people and to be able to trust them with big things and to point the direction, you need to be self-aware and you need to be open and you need to trust yourself. So then it all comes back to self-awareness. And if you are self-aware, you can be authentic and then people want to follow you. And how much do you think that comes a little bit also with Asian experience? I've seen amazing leaders who are 32. Mm. And I've seen amazing leaders who are 62. I don't think it really has to do with age or experience. I think it has to do with an innate quality of understanding that when it all, all comes down to it, we're all the same. And if we're all the same, and it's just that my purpose is maybe I'm a better leader, that means that you also have a purpose. And then we touch on the next thing, which I think is very important for a good leader, which is actually to love people. Someone said that real leadership is not to create followers, it is to create more leaders. And I think that's true. 
And what about your, your um, the executive search business as such? How does it stay relevant? Good question. I was recently on maternity leave for 15 months, which is very strange to me when you're 42, as I was at the time. And I was just walking around with my uh, baby all day, thinking, listening to pods, etc. And I was struck by the fact that it looks very much the same today and 15 years ago. And I had all that time to reflect on why hasn't it changed more? Today, it's very much about three things. The first thing is making sure that the client really knows what they're looking for, because the speed is much higher today. And people, on average, have more positions than one. Very many people on top positions do more than one job. So it's very much about making the client reflect on what they are actually looking for. Maybe they don't need a CMO. Maybe they need uh, something else. Maybe it's not the CMO who's the problem. Maybe it's a CFO, you know. So to make the client really quite deeply reflect on what they're actually saying. (laughs) And the second is to also challenge the client in their views of what a typically perfect candidate would be. Uh, Because who else will do that? And the third is, of course, to, as always, but also use today's technology to make sure that you have all the information you need. Often it happens that people call me and say, do you have some idea about a candidate for and so on? And there's so many people finding things through their uh, networks, Mm. professional, semi-professional, private, you could say networks and so on. Lots of things are happening directly there or Mm. organize different groups and so on. So that's why I'm also thinking, okay, how do you then, uh, you know, remain relevant also Mm. so that the business is not going away from you because Mm. it happens somewhere else? Okay, I'm going to say something that might sound really stupid, but If it does, great, because that means that people have been become better at dreaming and saying, this is what I really want and making the effort to get it. So if we're not no longer needed, then we've reached some kind of perfect society where you as the ideal candidate would approach your ideal company and you would probably find each other. I think, unfortunately, We're a long way away from that. And I think that the relevance issue on the top levels, I'm not so worried about them because what I'm worried about is more that the speed, because I'm worried that sometimes, you know, the speed and how we want everything to go faster, 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 faster. As of now, it's still relationships. And relationships and, you know, the first impression, it's not always how it works. Yes, you can go into a room and you will get a sense of things. But in order to know which candidate is the best, I know for a fact that the more effort you put into the beginning of an assignment, the better the outcome. And if you do it sloppily, if you go, okay, so we have this position, there can't be that many people, I will call these three and it will, has to be one of these three. It's always the longer road to the end. 
And then people say, okay, but after 20 years, shouldn't you be able to just uh, say three names immediately after? Yeah, but the strange thing is that I think we have some kind of brain mal malfunction, all of us, because yes, I should be able to, <laughs> but there's always more people. You know how you can sort of sit at a, you can move in one area and you think, I must have seen everyone now, but there's always more people coming. So I think our brains is, and it's so common that we've done assignments for like the finance industry and they say, okay, I know everyone who's relevant, but nobody does, mm -hmm. nobody does. And for me, who's, that's all I've done for 20 years. And if I don't, then I'm sure my clients don't. Plus sometimes an unpredictable profile of a person mm -hmm. for a certain job could be even a better solution than the obvious, right? So it's also about cross-thinking. Mm. Mm. I think nearly always. And even if a lot of our clients say that they want the unexpected and we try to challenge with that, in about 60% of the cases, they end up choosing the safe bet. But I think that's a very important road because when you've passed and you've felt and you've met someone who, okay, this is a bit more risky, but might be more exciting and give us more. And you decide that, okay, we're not ready for that. Then maybe the next time you are. Mm. So it's about, you know, the more we dare to expand, the better I think the outcome. And what would you say is your passion, something that you would never give up on? My passion is that I truly believe that this world needs to become better. We have a lot of problems today. I think they are very much rooted in that uh, we need to change individually. And it's back to the self-awareness thing. Everybody needs to see that if I work on myself and if my objective is to leave this world and this place and this day a little bit better than yesterday, then that will make a profound change on the world. And my way of working towards that is to, in every meeting I have, in every recruitment I do, in every leadership development program, that I get people to see that life is not what hits you. You are creating your life. You are creating your dreams. You are creating the situations that happen to you. And I will never give up on that. And I will never give up on the fact that I believe that Swedes, that we need to dream more. I think we need to become much better at defining our personal and individual goals. Exactly this question that you're asking me. I mean, if I can contribute to making one person a day or a week or a month, get that sense of, yeah, I can make this change. And maybe this is my purpose. Maybe I can inspire this person to become better. And maybe I can see this co-worker that she's brilliant. What would you say are your transformational points so far in, in your life, you know, that have influenced you the most? When I was 15, I, like all teenagers, in my view, I had a rough time. <laughs> Compared to a lot of people, I didn't. But in my view, I was like 
very dramatic and felt misunderstood and etc. And I, I had relatives and two aunts and one mother who meditated. TM was very modern at the time. Mm -hmm. So I started meditating and that has been with me since then. That space between the world and the external and what is always spinning around to the calm of uh, and the silence of that space is just something that I know mm. is there. Mm. And it's always there. I'm a workaholic, so when I get really excited, I run away from that. But I know that it's there. Another big uh, moment was my divorce. And also that I, in that divorce, uh, decided to work on myself. Before that, I've always been like, no, 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 I don't need to. Personal development is not for me. I don't uh, need that because I have a very happy childhood, and etc. And the miracles that I have seen happen in the personal development groups and works and also leadership programs that I do myself is, I think it's a reason I'm so optimistic about humanity and the change that we can make. Yeah, because really you have um, the opportunity, or somebody would say the power, to influence people's lives by actually seeing what could work and what mm -hmm. could be possible and help people from both perspectives, mm -hmm. uh, both from the client and the other side. And to match people and, um, you know, there are these crazy statistics since years now that whatever, 70-something plus percent of people are going to work and they're not mm -hmm. feeling that they're doing anything meaningful or mm -hmm. important to them, which is a disaster. I mean, disaster. Give, given if it's 10 or 12 hours a day, people are mm -hmm. maybe at work and that's like you're taking part of their life away from them. And yeah. you, you in your role, if you look at it like that, could really help them to put that big chunk of their life back in, in a more beautiful place. We say that we recruit and develop role models. The word role model to me is, I think we all need to strive for things. I think the striving for something bigger than ourselves is like the most important driving force. Because when you look at all the, to me, big role models like Gandhi or Dalai Lama or Jean d'Arc or whoever. Mm. They don't run around doing this because they want to have a bigger fortune or because they want to have... Mm. They actually want to strive for something which is bigger than themselves. And I think that when you come into companies where there is that sense of we're building this together and this is something which moves the world, mm. it's amazing. And when you see often in those companies that have that culture and mm. that sense of purpose. What you also see is that every individual almost <laughs> in those companies know why they're there. I remember I, I talked to Janne Karlsson, who used to be the CEO of SAS. I asked him, so what do you think you're, why were you such a big leader? And he looked at me and he said, it's love. I loved the company. I loved all the people in it. And as a leader of a big company, you can do so much just by, you know, smiling, <laughs> looking at people, just asking them, you know, how are you? And I'm not saying that the only leadership style which works is the charismatic type, because I don't believe that. But I believe that 
to have a sense of love for the organization and the company and the people in it, I think is essential. And I think people feel that. Yeah, if you have a bigger idea that the company is serving, mm. everybody should relate to that idea rather than relating to the leader, right? There's a, another quote that I love, which is, uh, life is not a problem to be solved, it's a mystery to be lived. Mm. What actually makes a great company and what is it that makes profits or, you know, the positive vibes when you know that everyone knows why they're there, everyone knows what they're working for. It's not like, it's very rarely that people are working for you as a leader. But if you manage to find that core, which binds everyone together. Is there one long-term formula or solution that you believe in for all kinds of businesses, actually? Purpose, goals. I believe that people, again, I think it's deeply rooted in us that we need to strive for something. Mm. And I also believe that purpose, goal, and togetherness. I don't think we are built to be alone. Mm. I think it's important to take time alone, but I think we are built to strive together. Mm. And again, self-awareness. <laughs> and still more and more people are going away from uh, the company corporate yeah. world and having two or three different jobs, projects, mm. uh, you know, the gig economy and all that, working in different collaborations, mm. free networks, mm. uh, going in and out of different structures mm. and so on. What about that togetherness there? Mm. Not sure. There hasn't really been um, economic setback yet. So we'll see how that affects that. Mm. But I, the togetherness doesn't have to be a static thing, I don't think, because right now you and I have a togetherness. When I leave this room, we'll have another one. So I, I'm not sure that togetherness has to be exclusiveness. So I'm not sure it's opposites. I think it's really interesting how so many companies are talking about collaborations and alliances and in a way that, that I think is very, again, back to the optimistic view that I think if we build on that and talk more about the collaborations and the, I mean, you see the, everything from Fjällräven and Akne to Moschino and H&M, and now I'm just talking about one industry, but there's so many cases where you see that we actually become stronger together. And again, we come back to the learning. We learn from each other. Mm. I think it's more about the learning and the striving. And I think that maybe I have the, the Albright and other stuff I do, which brings me nourishment that I do more than one thing. Mm. I'm not sure we're built for, you know, the Japanese, we stick to one company and live and die for that. And what is it that you do in the Albright Foundation? What is the key cause for the people who don't know of it? We work for getting more women into senior management positions. There's been a big debate for years here about the board quota. And I was recruiting for in 2009, I started doing a lot of uh, board recruitments and they all wanted women, big listed companies. They all wanted women, but the women had to have big PNL positions in large listed companies. And I was like, there, <laughs> there are so few, where are they? 
So the beginning of Albright was that we wanted to change the spotlight from the percentage of women in the board positions to the percentage of women in management positions, the executive management teams on the listed companies, essentially. So we started doing the Albright report, which comes out annually and looks at how the percentage of women is in the big listed companies. Currently, it's at 21% of the listed companies are on the green list, which means that they are equal. And equal is more than 40% women. But still, there are almost 77 companies who don't have women at all in the executive management teams. It's a matter of interest or if you care, but there are women. And if we don't believe that we should use them, then maybe we shouldn't educate women at all. <laughs> If we would dream a little bit and say that you could, you have all doors open and uh, all kinds of resources available to you, mm -hmm. is there anything in particular that you will immediately go and innovate or, or change? If I had all the resources to innovate something for us, which I think would also be beneficial for a lot of people, it would be an app which would enable leaders to find their purpose mm -hmm. and then where companies could go to match that. I think that would be amazing. But that would take a lot of time and mm -hmm. a lot of clever people to find out how that works. But I think that would solve a bit what we were talking about before. But in your company, I know you have different types of leadership programs, courses, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, for the board uh, mm -hmm. qualifications and all that kind of formal mm -hmm. stuff, right? So you could actually have a purpose, whatever, program, mm. which is also one of the key criteria in order to... That is coming. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> that, that is coming. Okay. Also, self-awareness programs is also coming. We're doing our first on the 23rd of November. Good to hear. If we could, even in school, teach our children to dare to dream, if I could change something, I would put on the curriculum in school to give the kids time to think about and to feel what they are made for. I just read a book called Ikigai. You read that? Yeah. Which talks about one of the um, blue belts where people live the longest, in this case Okinawa. And they talk about how everyone there, except for the food and uh, that they move <laughs> every day and fresh air and that, there are also two components which make people live so long. And one is the sense of uh, togetherness, mm -hmm. that they are organized in a way that they take care of each other. The other is that they find their purpose. And it's a true for all the blue belts. And then it's, again, it's this magic word purpose is so, sounds so big. Yeah. And sometimes it can be very, very simple, exactly yeah. what that purpose is for me as a person. And then mm -hmm. I can choose different roads to work on it, but, um, Sometimes it can be very, very simple. Yeah, and it can change Yeah, over time. Well, yeah, exactly. exactly. Maybe now this purpose is done, I need to find a new one. Mm. But I think also one way to make it easier is to ask yourself what you're longing for. Usually the first word that comes up is rest. So then maybe another word that comes up is reflection, time. But after those, mm. there's something else. Mm. Are you longing for more 
creativity? Are you longing for more? What is it to learn more? Right now for me, it's uh, actually to learn more. I'm in a phase where I've, I've read so much about food and health and environment. And I've also changed the way I eat. And it also comes together with this obsession with good leadership is that, you know, how can you be a good leader if your stomach is protesting all the time? I mean, I don't buy that. Is there any particular advice you want to take the opportunity to share now to with leaders? What would that be? You're not as alone as you think, because I think uh, now there's a lot of people who go into senior management leadership roles feel quite lonely. And usually it's the same kind of questions that come up. Are people going to discover that I'm a fake? So you're not so alone. Another one would be to make sure that you have people and or places where you can relax and be yourself and also never stop developing. And if you get that sense that I'm in the wrong place, then listen to that. Don't just because you're a high achiever power through because suddenly you're 72 and you don't know what happened to your life and you're too identified with your position then it's really, really hard to make the rest, the 15 last years of your life count. So true. Great advice. And if you would give some advice to yourself, let's say 15 years ago, what, mm. what would that be? To listen to the voice much uh, stronger and to stand my ground more. That the things that I feel passionate about, I need to stand for them much more than I might have done before. Now it comes to mind when you when we've been talking about all these things that mm. maybe the unique profile of your particular executive search firm is or will be very soon a mirror image of your beliefs. Mm. So if you, for example, cherish so much this source of self-awareness mm. in a way as a, as a solution to so many things mm. in what you do, mm. Uh, maybe that's going to be more visible also for people from the outside. You know, how do you transform all of these things that you believe in within your team or with your team exactly. and with your clients? Because they're also part of your mm. team in a way or, mm. or community in a way. If you have a copy-paste fantastic formula that mm. you believe in and mm. you have reasons to believe in, why wouldn't somebody out there copy-paste that and you mm. can cooperate and work? Yeah, in exactly. Big, right, which is maybe you're already doing that with, with no, some, some no, companies. No, 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 very, very little. Yeah. I can see more that we will cooperate with also other types of consultant firms. Like communication is very close to what we're doing. Management consultancy is very close to what we're doing. And more and more, I think there will be collaborations is there one thing that you consider is the most important thing, like a common denominator for all companies to focus on right now? No, I don't think I can say that. But what comes to me, which is not very, is maybe that I think a lot of companies today are focusing on the future and trying to have that crystal ball of what is happening. Maybe we should all focus a bit more on the now. One of my favorite authors, Eckhart Tolle, says, that's all we really have. Yeah, because the future is something we create, right? <laughs> Depending on what we do today uh, or, exactly. or what we believe in, right? Exactly. But I think there's a lot of fear 
driving that we want to have the crystal ball because what if we're left out or the last ones to know or mm -hmm. but I think actually the crystal balls can sometimes create trouble for us in the now. I know you're soon heading to uh, London where I was yeah. last week we could have met yeah. there almost <laughs> <laughs> and I just wanted to finish up on a if possible even a bigger note oh. and ask the big question you know what what do you think the world needs most at this time? More openness, more dialogue, more vulnerability, more of mature people being able to listen, and more authentic people who know themselves. So in a way, for all of us to be more human in a way, right? Uh, or to yeah. acknowledge that. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I've read all the um, Homo sapiens and uh, mm -hmm. sapiens and Homo deus and the 21 whatever, the last one. And, you know, we're all moving towards a more algorithm-based, but I don't really believe that. I believe there's also something that happens in human meetings, and I believe in that fabric. Exactly. The AI, etc., can maybe enable us to take away some boring stuff for us and give us a more qualified analysis of yeah. things. But eventually the big decisions and the direction and so mm -hmm. on hopefully should be human-led always. And uh, the exclusive fabric nowadays is very much face-to-face uh, -face meetings yeah. and being with people. But we need to, that's why I say vulnerability and openness are important words because as humans so far, I mean, we've done a fair amount of really bad decisions. And right now, the way we're not listening to each other, and I mean, just look at the Swedish government, what is happening now is worrying. So, maturity. Thank you so much, uh, Michaela. Thanks for Thank sharing. You. Thanks for sharing everything. You're a wonderful person. For people who want to find out more about you and your work and your company, where should they head? to our webpage. We will be launching a new one on the 13th of December, so preferably after the 13th of December. <laughs> also, we have LinkedIn profiles, etc. Yeah. You can also listen to my podcast, which is in Swedish, called Transparens, mm -hmm. but our webpage, basically. Which is mikaelberglund.se. Thank you. And you will also find links in show notes on corporateunplugged.com slash podcast. So remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Acast and Spotify and share this episode with your network and friends for impact. Share it with people you know would benefit from hearing this. Thanks for listening and until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. <laughs> <laughs> Ciao. <laughs> Thank you.